Um, so as we're, we're jumping in today, you know that we are uh, in the Song of Ascents. Um, we just started last week, and uh, Clint opened us up with Psalm 120. And before we jump into Psalm 121, um, I want to throw this out there. Like, have you guys, um, do you find that like when you listen to certain songs, you just get really pumped up? Like, there's just something about certain songs that you just, you get really, like, worked up and you're ready to go. Like, I, I used to uh, run quite a bit, um, and when I did, I would use the, the Nike running app, um, which kept track of your, your runs and all that sort of stuff. But it also allowed you to curate your own running playlist of songs. And so, what I found odd was when you would upload that into the app, it would ask you to designate which song was your power song. Now, I, I don't exactly know what that means. It would play it, like, when it knew you needed to hear this song. I don't know how they judge that. Um, I don't know if they knew, like, judging my heart rate or how, like, oh, he's slowed down quite a bit now. He needs this power song. Whatever it is. Um, but but that was a thing. And, and I'm sure that a lot of us have experienced this in some way when it comes to to songs. Um, I, I give a disclaimer right now, maybe a little bit of an apology for some of you. I'm actually a Steelers fan, uh, and so uh, if you've ever been to a Steelers game, you will know that if when they play in Heinz Field in the fourth quarter, this is going to come on. This is a song called Renegade. Um, by sticks, and it starts off real slow, but then it comes into this like, burm, 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 burm. there you go. Um, and, and if you're in the stadium, the whole place goes nuts. I mean, the, the, the fans are going nuts. Even the players on the field start to, like I've seen them in interviews talk about when that song comes on, like that's it, we know. Um, but of course, we're from Philly, uh, you know, and even though this may be cheesy to the rest of the world, when we hear this, <laughs> yes. Some of you, right? Yeah, darn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you, some of you, right now, are like, "Show me the wall, and I will run through it." Like this is, you are ready. Um, and then, and then, of course, last week, um, Clint shared with us that when he was driving home from college, this would get him really amped up. <laughs> to, to each his own, you know. There you go. <laughs> So, now, now, I'm not sure if you've experienced this, uh, you know, a lot of us have experienced, like I said, this in some form. So what, what is it that causes music to have such an effect on us? Um, according to a study published in the Journal of Nature Neuroscience, it says music has been shown to increase the brain's level of dopamine. Uh, PhD Marcello Bigliassi, who specializes in psychophysiology at Florida International University, says music can help protect the brain from the performance zapping effects of fatigue. I also read that listening to music during exercise can strengthen the brain's signals that tell your muscles to activate. So I feel like songs, um, songs will often pump us up, I think, for different reasons, right? For some of, for some songs, for some of us, it might be the beat or the rhythm of the song that gets us, gets us going. Uh, some of us, it might be the memory or what we associate that song with, kind of like the story of Rocky. Um, and I think, I think for a lot of us too, lyrics that we can relate to or lyrics that encourage us, uh, in some way can get us really pumped up. And I find it fascinating that God has designed us this way, and he chooses to use music not only as an aspect of worship, 
but also as a way to remind us uh, of who he is and to encourage us in his truth. And so we see that uh, at work sometimes in the Psalms. Um, the Psalms, uh, it's interesting, the Psalms were actually written by people to God. But then through his spirit, making it part of his word, now the Psalms are God's words to us. And then we can still use them as words to him. It's actually kind of a cool, fascinating aspect of a, of a book in the Bible. Um, in Psalm 121, God uses this song to remind the Jewish people of who he is and his promises. And they needed that. They needed that as they journeyed to Jerusalem. But I would also say it's also a reminder to us today as we take a journey through life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can gather here this morning and worship you, the creator of the universe. God, thank you that we could gather in your spirit, that we can encourage one another. And, and Lord, thank you for your word. Um, I pray right now that you would give us open ears, open hearts to what you want to say to us. I pray that you would guide my words. We just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I know we, uh, in the call to worship, we read through this psalm, but we're gonna, I'm going to read it again. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt to hear these words, as we're going to find out. Um, so if you could open up to Psalm 121 um, and follow along. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so, as we look at Psalm 121 today, I want to I just touch upon three different things. First of all, uh, where do we look for help? And in turn, where should we be looking for help? And then secondly, what is the hope for the people of God? And then finally, how does all of this apply to us today? But before we get into that, um, I do want to jump into some things that I would you know, I'll just call them nerdy things, to help give us a little bit of context um, and a little bit maybe more depth of, of what we're reading here. Uh, because there's so much more going on in, in this psalm than maybe just a lyric that we recognize from a contemporary worship song. Um, there's so much more going on than just a nice phrase that we see emblazoned above a mantelpiece that we found at Home Goods. Um, the psalms uh, are poetry. Um, and the reality is that in this poetry, the writer has instilled things through wording and rhythm to give it much, give it a much fuller meaning than we often give it credit for. For instance, this psalm uses a poetic device called merism, uh, which I looked up, and the definition of a merism is a feature of biblical poetry where two words are paired to convey a sense of grandeur or totality in the vision of the world it invokes. Well, what does that mean? Um, well, for instance, in Genesis 1-5, it says, And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, of course, 
there was a, that part right there, by the way, that second part, there was also an afternoon. That's not in the Bible. Um, I just have to get that out there so I don't get fired. Um, I accidentally had my notes in the thing when I sent it to Ward. So, um, but that's the reality. And it was evening and there was day. There was also an afternoon, right? But using the terms evening and day give us the sense of a totality. God created um, all, all of time here um, in this moment. So, um, as we, as we talked, to, and we're going to see that, and I'll, I'll point it out as we kind of walk through the psalm. And as we talked about last week, this psalm is a grouping of psalms called um, Psalms of Ascent, or, or Going Up. And, and you may notice that in your Bible, um, right at the beginning of the psalm, mine has it, there's, like a, there's some words in a different font, right? Uh, right above the first verse. And um, in most of these, it says song, a song of ascent. Uh, you see this a lot. Um, in, in other parts of the Psalms where they'll say things like of David or for the choir master. And, and what this is called, it's called a superscription. Um, and usually they give us some sort of context as to what the Psalm is, is a part, is about. And, and in the original Hebrew, they're actually not set apart. They're just part of the first line of, of, of the Psalm. And so I do have to say right now, I find this, um, almost amusing to myself. Uh, if you know me, uh, I've been, uh, working towards ordination. Um, and part of that is I had to take Hebrew and I had to take Greek. And so last year I took Greek and then I literally just last week, um, took my Hebrew final. Um, and as I've been going through this process, I've learned a lot, but I've also kind of thought in my mind, like, I don't want to be that guy that's always bringing up the Hebrew and the Greek and his sermon and all this. And sure enough, I take the final last week, and I start prepping for this sermon, and something catches my eye, to the point where I pulled out my Hebrew Bible. And I've got to tell you, I didn't even take out my Hebrew Bible for Hebrew class. But <laughs> but here we are. Um, and if my professor's watching, sorry. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'm bringing this up because in Psalm 121, there's actually something different about the superscription, which I, I think is worth bringing up. So in most of the Psalms of Ascent, this is what it says in the Hebrew. Now, Hebrew goes from right to left, okay? So this first word here would basically mean, mean song. And then you've got a space, and then the second word would be the ascent. And so the word of is, in Hebrews, most of the time it's implied, right, between the space. So song of the ascent. And so that first letter of that second word, that's what's called a he. Now, I don't know if I need to add more, you know, throat to that, but it's a hey. Um, it's that one with the curve and then the line that comes down to that. That um, usually represents the article. So it's like basically saying the word the, and it's attached to the first word. So song of the ascent. But here's what it looks like in Psalm 120, 121. Um, notice the hey is gone, and it's replaced with what's called a lamed. Um, and the lamed is actually used in Hebrew as uh, to show preposition. Um, and so this one would actually probably be better translated song for the ascent. Um, now, is that a big deal? I don't know. Um, is, is it have a grand meeting, maybe? Uh, but I do wonder if it kind of sets it apart as being a, a psalm that's like an anthem for the journey, uh, for the journey from wherever the Jewish person is to the promised land, to Jerusalem. Um, and... And it is the only psalm of a sense that does speak specifically to the journey itself. So just something I found fascinating and wanted to show off some of the Hebrew I just learned. Um, <laughs> so another cool thing about these psalms is they seem to have just built into the structure itself uh, a kind of an ascension. 
So uh, uh, Psalms 120 through 122 are often grouped together, right? So last week, Clint talked about Psalm 120, where the psalmist finds himself um, in great distress, right? He's surrounded by lying lips, uh, deceitful tongues. Um, uh, he's, he's far away from, from uh, Jerusalem. This Psalm 121 finds you then moving from there to the promised land. And then finally, in Psalm 122, um, we get this this celebration of Jerusalem and, and what this place is. So you literally, from Psalm 120 to 123, kind of have this poetic ascent, if you will, going from distress to the promised land. And then I think it's even cooler, too, Psalm 121 uh, kind of has an ascent in, in, in its own little structure where you start with the psalmist in his distress asking, you know, for help. Like, where does my help come from? And then as it progresses, it not only shows us where our help comes from, but then how firm, it ends with how firm that help is. Um, So it goes from a time of questioning to, hey, here's what is true about God. Um, Finally, to kind of wrap up some of this uh, nerdy stuff, um, the promises contained in this psalm are, are applicable for more than just the journey to Jerusalem. Um, these promises are also applicable to it's the journey of life. It's, it's also for the individual, but for, the, for, for all of God's people. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it, the author intended this, uh, but I feel like this is even beautifully depicted in verse 4. Look down there. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Um, in Genesis 28, 15, God is talking to Jacob, right? And he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Jacob is being promised by God that he will not leave him. Um, He will bring him into the land. But as we know, as the story continues, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And then he has like the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this promise wasn't just for Jacob. But it was for all of God's people. And I, I wonder, like, is the psalmist kind of, you know, referencing back to this with that line of, um, the Lord, uh, he who, he who keeps Israel will neither, uh, slumber or sleep. So therefore, he's the one who keeps Israel, but he's keeping all of his people. Um, anyway, we will, uh, jump right in, um, for verse one here. Uh, as we know, Psalm 120 uh, that we talked about last week, and I mentioned it, the psalmist is distressed. He's surrounded by lying lips, deceitful tongues, those ready for war, and all the while, he's far from Jerusalem. Um, and, and as he journeys to Jerusalem, not only are all of those things still a reality, but there's also a bunch of perils now that he has to face as they make this journey. Um, there are perils on the journey. And so as he looks up to the hills, the question arises, where does my help come from? Now, there's some to, some debate as to why this question comes up as he looks to the hills. Um, it could be a positive thing in that, you know, if you remember, Clint last week shared how for, at that time, for the Jewish person, um, wherever they were in the world, whenever they referred to Jerusalem, it was always up. Right. So when whether they were heading to Jerusalem or they were looking towards Jerusalem, they were either heading up or looking up. Um, and so, therefore, looking up to the hills, the psalmist could be saying, "I'm looking towards Jerusalem." Um, it also could be 
that the psalmist is seeing the hills and recognizing the hills for the protection that they would provide to, to Zion. Um, on the other hand, this looking to the hills could be a negative thing in that the psalmist is recognizing the dangers of the hills that they're going to have to travel to get to Jerusalem. You know, the hills contain all sorts of peril from uh, robbers, as we, we kind of see uh, in something like the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, they also have uh, these rocks um, and rough terrain that are hard to navigate, um, which we'll actually talk about a little bit in verse 3 here. Either way, the message of this psalm doesn't change. If the view of the hills is positive, then we will see it reinforced that the one that they're going to worship in Jerusalem is for them. If it's in the negative, then we'll see that the God of Jerusalem, who they're going to worship, will protect them. That's the beauty of poetry. The details can be interpreted differently, and yet the meaning or purpose of this psalm remains the same. And before we continue then, with that in mind, I do feel like we have to stop and ask ourselves this question. As we go through trials and sufferings and hardship, where does our help come from? Where are we looking to as we face the trials of this life? And I think while we would like to say that our help comes from God, many of us, including myself, are so naturally quick to look towards our own abilities, towards money, relationships, career, philosophies, ideologies, politicians. We look to all these places for help, but the reality is that anything we turn to for help in our time of need that isn't God, those things have become our idols. Now, I'm not saying that God can't use these things for his means. It's just that when we start to think that these are the only means by which God will deliver us, well, that's when we can tell that we've now started to follow an idol. And you may not have to go too far to answer the question of where are you looking for help? Are there relationships that you long for or fight to maintain because you believe that without them you're nothing? Are you putting all of your focus on your career because succeeding or comfort is the only thing that really matters? I wonder if our trust was firmly in God for help. Would the social media feeds of believers be less divisive and fearful whenever something political doesn't go the way we want it to? Once again, I'm not saying that these things aren't important. I'm just saying that if we start to rely on them for uh, solely for our safety and salvation, well, then we are looking to false saviors. And so verse 2, uh, jumping in here, uh, points us to where our, our only real help can come from. It says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And once again, this is, this is a mirrorism that I was talking about earlier. He made heaven and earth. This is to show us the totality. He made everything. He's the creator of all things. Um, and this isn't a throwaway line. It's a reminder that God is the creator. Anything else that we put our hope in is lesser. Um, God being the creator is going to set the table for everything we are about to read in the rest of this passage. And anything that we face is not outside of his control. But you may be thinking, Dave, we all, that's kind of a basic thing. Like, we all know that God is the creator of all things. Why, why do we need to be reminded of this? Well, and the answer to that is because we forget. Um, we are so prone to forget um, who God is and what he's done for us. And God is not above reminding us because he knows how quick we are to forget. In, in Exodus chapter 20, when God's about to give the law, 
to the people, uh, the, 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 um, the Hebrew people as they've, they've come out of Egypt, he starts by saying in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And the reason he says that is because he need, they need to be reminded, I am the one who brought you out of slavery, out of captivity. Therefore, these things I'm about to tell you, you can trust because you already know that I have in mind what's best for you. So when the, when the Hebrew people say, why should we follow these laws? Well, it's because God has shown himself to be faithful and what is best for them. And so for us, when we say, who do we look for, look to for help? Um, the answer, the answer is God. He's the creator of all things. Nothing is outside of his control. And we need to be reminded of that. And because of this, um, God's people can have hope on the difficult journey. The psalmist begins to break down what help looks like from the creator of all things by telling us in verse 3 that he will not let your foot be moved. Have you guys ever been to uh, Ringing Rocks? You ever heard of this? It's this place, on the I think it's on the way to Easton. Um, you can kind of go off and there's this field filled with large like rocks that are all just kind of scattered and stacked on top of each other. And if you go and bring a hammer, you hit it, and it makes a cool ringing sound, which is fantastic. And so, of course, you can think to yourself, well, this will be a fun little trip for the family, which my wife had that idea um, a few years ago. And so we showed up, and we thought, this is going to be great, until we realized that we were there with a 5-year-old, a 9-year-old, an 11-year-old. And while it may be cool to hit those rocks and hear a ringing sound, um, those rocks are filled with the opportunity for broken ankles and concussions. Um, especially when you're a small child and have a hard time walking to begin with. Um, needless to say, we heard ringing, but we heard a lot of crying and screaming. And the kids were upset too. Um, but So as the people were heading to Jerusalem, their journey actually contained very perilous terrain. There were a lot of rocks and a lot of areas that they would have to navigate um, where the promise of having your foot not slip was actually a relief. I mean, I'm sure that was probably a concern as you're maneuvering these these rocks, that your foot not slip. And so the promise of that is is great. And it reminds me of um, something that we see similarly in the book of Habakkuk, um, where, uh, you know, we went through this book last year uh, and talked a little bit about it. And, and if you remember, uh, the book of Habakkuk, uh, you've got the prophet who is calling out to God because the people of God are in despair and things don't seem to be getting better. And so he cries out to God, like, God, do you not see us? Like, are your promises true? What's happening? Um, and God responds. And by the end of the book, they're, they're back on the same page and, and things seem a little, a, a little better for the prophet. And he says in chapter three, verse 19, he says, the God, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, I was uh, fortunate in seminary. I had a really good Old Testament professor. Um, her name was uh, Dr. Cindy Parker. Um, and she just, the way she explained the Old Testament was just fantastic. Like, it, it, it really captivated us, really got us excited to, to dig into to things that maybe are a little more difficult and whatnot. And, and one thing that was cool about Dr. Parker is that her area of specialty, specialties, specialty? Specialty. Her area of specialty was specifically um, had to do with, like, the actual physical land of the Old Testament and the culture. 
And so she would often like, you know, you know, sometimes you're reading through the prophets and it'll like some random place. And then she'd show us a picture of the place and be like, this is what they're talking about. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. And, and actually for this verse, she brought it up. She said, you know, when, when the prophet says that, um, he makes my feet like the deers, it's probably not what a lot of us are thinking. Like a lot of us are probably envisioning Bambi or some 12 foot buck who's running through the fields. Um, that's, that really wouldn't make sense in this region of the world. Um, what the writer is probably referring to is an animal called an ibex. Um, and what's fascinating about the ibex is they have these special hooves, um, which are shaped in such a way that they're able to walk, uh, on the terrain of, of that area, like, really well. Almost to the point, like, look at this. This is like Spider-Man up in here. Um, he's on the sli- side of a cliff, and because of the way the hooves are, he's able to walk literally sideways, uh, and grasp it. And so, when, when the writer says, um, that, that he makes, he makes my feet like the deers, he makes me tread on my high places. What he's saying is God's not taking away the terrain. He's giving me the ability to walk through it. Um, and notice that's what's happening here in this psalm. Like, it doesn't say that God's making the path clear. It just says that he will keep your foot from slipping. So no matter, um, what we're going through, he may not always alleviate the circumstances, but he will not let us slip as we walk. And that's that's really important to hear. I know for me it is. Verse 3 also says that he who keeps Israel or, or his people will not slumber or sleep. This might be a slight jab at the false gods of the culture, uh, referring back to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27, where Elijah is facing the prophets of Baal, and he's, he's having them try to call down fire, and they're running around screaming at the top of their lungs, and nothing's happening. And Elijah is like... He's like, oh, wow, weird, he's not answering. I wonder if he's in the bathroom, or maybe he's sleeping. Um, really sarcastic, that Elijah. Uh, and so so maybe the writer is referring back to this. Um, but, but I want us to think about this. You know, God will not sleep or slumber. Um, how many times have we faced situations or circumstances and felt like God must be asleep at the wheel? You know, here, the psalmist assures us that that does not happen. God is fully aware of what's going on, and what you're going through. And not only that, he will keep you through it. In fact, the Lord keeping you or being referred to as your keeper um, is used five times in this psalm. So the psalmist seems to think it's important that we recognize that the Lord who created everything will keep his people. So he won't let your foot be moved. And now we see, moving on to um, verse 5, that he will protect us from the elements. It says, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Well, I think the sun thing is pretty obvious, right? If you're out in the desert, um, you want to be protected from the, the strength and heat of the sun's rays. Um, you would want shade. Um, I don't know about you. This particularly resonates with someone like me because this right here, pretty sensitive. Um, so, so that makes sense to us. I'm kind of intrigued by this moon. Like he'll protect us from the, shade us from the light of the moon. Like is that moon burn? Is that like a thing? Like I don't know what, what we're talking about. I actually read, um, some people during that time period felt that the, the, the light from the moon might create, um, uh, mental issues in people. Um, and so, so there was a belief back then of that. I also read some more current things where some people feel that because 
the sky is so clear out there um, uh, that that the 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 light of the moon could actually create harm uh, for your physical body. I actually found um, this this British author and traveler named John Carn wrote a book called Letters from the East, and he writes. The effect of the moonlight on the eyes in this country is singularly injurious. The moon here really strikes and affects the sight when you sleep exposed to it much more than the sun. Whatever all that may mean, uh, what's what's important here is to recognize why he's saying, once again, this is one of those merisms, right? So we've got, um, you know, what he's saying is, by pairing together the sun and the moon, the psalmist is assuring us that the Lord's protection is 24-7. Right? He doesn't take a break. He doesn't sleep, and there's no time of the day where he's like, I'm going to go out for a half an hour, take a walk, or have some lunch. God's protection is 24-7. Um, and then uh, look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Once again, uh, pulling out my Hebrew, um, the word here that is translated life can also be translated, and maybe even better soul, uh, so translated soul. The Lord will keep your soul. Um, and I, I think that's kind of, you know, that's, that's not without precedent. We see in the New Testament, um, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. As we know and we've talked about, um, you know, we will encounter hardships in this life. And we will even face death. But God promises to protect the souls of his people. Nothing that this earth can throw at us is outside of his control, and he promises to keep us. In verse 8, we get another merism. Um, it says that he will keep us in our going out and in our coming in. Uh, we see this in the, in the context here um, as we come and go, like journeying to Jerusalem, right? But I think we can also see it in the bigger picture, which I think is where the writer wants us to go. God will keep us as we come into this world uh, all the way to when we leave it. When does he keep us? From this time forth and forevermore. And so as we kind of think about this, especially in the context of a journey to Jerusalem and all that, um, and there's a lot of cool things that we can pull out of it, like I said, um, what does this really have to do with us today? Well, the promises of Psalm 121 are just as true for us as they were back then for the traveling psalmist. These are not empty words that are meant to be uh, to make us feel good or for us to recite to take our mind off of pain. As a matter of fact, when you're going through hardships and suffering, oftentimes it's not easy to hear, and you don't want to hear, like, don't worry, God's in control, or God is keeping you. Um, and I, I honestly don't believe that's what Psalm 121 is, is trying to do. Like, I don't think it's there just to try to make us feel better. I believe Psalm 121 is there to give us something to hold on to as we walk through a treacherous road or face a relentless storm. It's there to just, you know, keep us, keep us as we walk through it. The promises of Psalm 121 aren't only contained in the Old Testament. Jesus reassures us uh, of this throughout, and, and there's plenty of verses, but I'll just pull out a few. Um, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, we, we read this earlier, John 10, 28 through 30, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father, out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then finally, 1 John 4, 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we can live in hope, even in the face of trials, not just because Jesus says so, 
but because he himself lived it out. Jesus actually faced the sufferings um, and the things that we we're, that are feared in these last two psalms that we've talked about. From Psalm 120, he faced lying lips. He faced deceitful tongues. He faced those who hated peace. And then on the cross, he faced a battle where he didn't actually did not receive the protection of the Father, but he received the wrath of God, which is the punishment that we deserved. And in a way, because of that, I guess that we too look towards the hill for help. We look to Calvary where Christ died for us, but we don't just see the cross. We also see an empty tomb. Death has been defeated and new life has been given because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. God is able to keep our soul, keep the souls of his people because Christ has redeemed them once for all. There has already been victory over the perils of our journey. The things that we fear and the things we struggle with have already been defeated. Therefore, we can face whatever's thrown our way with complete confidence. And so in this life, we need so desperately to hold on to the encouraging truth that God will keep his people. We need to recite it. We need to hear it, even in our time of struggle. Not to make us feel better, but because it points us to where true help comes from and is oftentimes the only thing we can hold on to during times of suffering. I'm going to show one more passage from the New Testament. Uh, Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I share that passage with you because um, about 10 years ago, I went through a really dark period in my life. Um, I struggled greatly with anxiety. Um, it just, it just kind of came upon me, and for a solid year and a half, I was in a really dark place. Um, and how I describe it to people is it's kind of like, you know, how your body feels when you have a cold, like achy and just kind of like, ugh. That's how my brain felt for like a year and a half. That's how my emotions felt. And, and all the while, I knew, I knew that God loved me. I knew that God was there. Um, but for some reason, I was just walking through this valley. And it was hard. Um, and I remember one day in particular, I was doing my dishes. And as I was doing the dishes, I always, I either have like a baseball game on or just music playing. And so I had me a music playing. And, uh, this song came on by one of my favorite bands, uh, this band called Citizens. And this song called Oh God came on. And for whatever reason, I'd heard this song a bunch, but for whatever reason, in that moment of my darkness, it felt like in this extreme darkness, all of a sudden there was this little, you know, even pinhole of light that started to shine through. And I was just like, oh, like, I need that. Like, I need that. And it got to the point where I was constantly listening to this song. I would put it on repeat as I was doing the dishes. My wife was sick of that song. Um, but it was just something that I needed to be reminded of. I needed to hear the truth. And the reason, what was the truth? Well, they took basically this passage from Romans, um, and they put it into the, it's kind of what formed the song. And then the bridge of the song is, um, 
is form is basically straight out of Romans for the most part. And and I share this with you because even after I've kind of come out of that dark period, and I still still struggle, um, but coming out of that, I recognized just how much the truth of the fact that God keeps me, God will never let me go, how much I needed that. Um, and how much I needed to hold on to that. And I, I needed to be reminded of that so much, I literally, that's my tattoos, are the bridge of that song. Um, Height nor depth nor anything else could pull us apart. We are joined as one by the blood. Hope will rise as we become more than conquerors through the one who loved the world. Seriously, I need to see that every day, and what better way than to put it on my arms? Um, uh, and so, yeah, we need to be reminded. We need to we need to constantly be soaking in the truth of God because I don't know about you, but internally, even externally, there are so many lies that are being thrown our way and want us to take our focus off of truth. Um, we need to constantly be looking towards the God of the universe, the God who created all things for hope, and we need to believe and understand that he's keeping us. If you're here today and you know Jesus, but life has been beating you down, please hear me. God is here. God is for you. God is keeping you. Nothing can separate you from his love, and you are more than a conqueror through him. He will not let you go. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you've been looking into all sorts of things to help with the brokenness in your heart, with the brokenness around the world, but you have not found an answer, I would ask you to consider the one who created all things. Look to Jesus, who offers you the healing and hope that you've been longing for, because he's the only one that can truly bring it. I'll be up here after we're we're all done, and I would love to to pray with you if you want to talk or pray. Um, But right now, let's, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this truth, Lord God. I, I confess, Lord, there are too many times in my life that I look to other places for help, and I am always found longing when I do that. But Lord, when I come to you, um, you meet me, Lord, and you have never let me go, and you promise to never let me go. And so, Lord, I, I pray right now um, for those in this room who are struggling today, Lord, those who just feel like um, the waves of this world are just pounding and pounding and pounding, and they can't breathe. Lord, I pray that your truth would shine that light, Lord God, that they would be able to hold on to who you are and what you promise, and that you would, you would carry them through, Lord, whatever they're going through. Lord, be with us through the rest of today. Help us to rest. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to love one another. And help us to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.